Hi, I'm Connor Cyrus, one of the hosts for Vermont Edition. I wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Thanks for listening and enjoy. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Connor Cyrus. Two bills that would give Vermonters the right to repair H81 and H79 are being discussed. H81 will allow farmers to fix their equipment by giving them the documentation or tools they need to get their tractors up and running. And H79 is a bill that would grant uh, owners of digital products, except motor vehicles and medical equipment, the right to access parts, tools, and documentations they need to fix things. To help give us a better understanding and explain why these two bills are so important, I want to welcome Representative Catherine Sims. She represents a newly redrawn Orleans County House District in the Northeast Kingdom, including the towns of Albany, Craftsbury, Greensboro, and Glover. She's a primary sponsor of these two bills addressing right to repair laws in Vermont. Representative Sims, welcome. Thanks for having me, Connor. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, Representative Sims, there are two bills in the House that address these right to repairs, H79 and H81, which I briefly mentioned and talked about. But before we dive into those two bills, I want to hear what you were hearing from the people that you represent that sparked you co-authoring these proposed pieces of legislation. Yeah, thanks, Connor. So this is about the right to fix something that you own. I think many of us can relate to the experience of having like a phone or a computer or even just like the most basic household appliance, like a coffee pot or a water heater. And these days when it breaks, how hard it is and difficult to get the parts or the information that you need to fix it. You know, it used to be that like these products were easily repairable with parts that were widely available and you could bring it down to your local repair shop to get it fixed. But you know, more and more companies um, are putting out barriers, whether it's legal or physical or digital, that prevent um, all of us from fixing the stuff that we own or having a place to take it. Um, and so this legislation is trying to give Vermonters more options so that if we um, own something and it breaks, uh, we have a, either the chance to fix it ourselves or somewhere to bring it. So let's talk, let's dive into H79. Uh, this is the more general right to repair bill that focuses on general electronics. Explain why this particular bill uh, is important. Yeah, so I just want to recognize that I worked with um, Rep. Ann Donahue um, as the other lead sponsor of this bill. And then we had you know, 30 co-sponsors, um, including Democrats, Republicans, progressives, and independents, all working together on these bills. And as you mentioned, we put forward two bills and um, H79 is focused on general consumer products, again, requiring that the original equipment manufacturers make available for fair and you know reasonable prices, the parts, the tools, the manuals, and the diagnostic materials needed to, to fix those products. And um, the H79 focuses on those consumer electronics, um, knowing that they are increasingly um, a part of all of our everyday lives and we rely on them. We have a lot of them and um, want to provide the opportunity for Vermonters to fix them or have somewhere to, to take them locally to get the repairs needed. Now, it's my understanding that there are two exemptions, um, medical equipment and cars. Why are these two exempt when they represent uh, maybe a big part of things that Vermonters need fixed? 
Yeah, so I, I think really important to acknowledge that we want um, right to repair to be available for everything. And also recognizing that tackling everything and all the manufacturers and all the advocates and lobbyists all at once is a lot. And so we tried to focus on these two pieces, consumer electronics, knowing that that's a big part of people's lives and felt like uh you know, one uh, bite that was big enough to try to take on, and then this other bill around agricultural equipment, knowing, you know, how this is an important problem for many of our farmers here in Vermont. And so tried to focus on things that are really important in people's everyday lives or in their, um, you know, for our farms and our communities, but also um, make the scope uh, modest enough that we could hopefully tackle it this session. Now, you talk about uh hearing from a lot of people. I'm curious, especially when it comes to these lobbyists, what kind of pushback, if any, you've experienced? It was interesting introducing these bills. Um, I've I've introduced um, many uh, this session and last session, and normally hear from you know one or two constituents who are maybe interested in, in what I put forward or a concern. Uh, but for these two bills, uh, the day they were introduced, um, myself and the other co-sponsors were flooded with um, uh, email from national lobbyists uh, discouraging us from moving forward on this bill. And I think, you know, some of that has to do with um, the bottom line that's at stake here, that as our um, products have had more and more kind of technology in them over the last several years, um, manufacturers had used that as um, an excuse to force us um, as consumers to work through the manufacturer or their, you know, branded texts um, in order to get the parts or the diagnostics um, done in order to, to move forward with the repair. And so, you know, I think some of this is about um, advocates wanting to preserve their bottom line. And, and, and our focus is uh, to bring more competition into the marketplace and ensure that Vermonters have choice. Is there enough, um, are there enough people in Vermont to really bring competition, more competition into the marketplace here in Vermont? Yeah, so this is what Vermont has done for a long time. We have fixed stuff ourselves. I was talking to a neighbor farmer the other day, and he was talking to me about how, you know, up until the 90s, he and his team could repair everything that they had on the farm. Um, but now, you know, more and more modern farm equipment, tractors, skid steers, balers, harvesters, telehandlers, you know, everything runs on software. And that new technology is really beneficial in many ways, but it also has provided um, a kind of excuse for manufacturers to lock down that repair process. And so this farmer who used to be able to fix everything on his own, um, you know, described it to me that as a diagnostic firewall that companies have created that make it impossible to penetrate. Um, and so he can't diagnose problems and so he can't fix it. And, you know, for our farmers, waiting sometimes days or even weeks to get that authorized tech out to your farm can really impact, um, you know, their, their bottom line. I, th I think most of us have probably heard the phrase, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. And, you know, if there's a delay waiting for that one authorized tech to, you know, come down from the dealership, that really puts the farmer's crops and livelihood at risk. And so... He has the team that has the knowledge and skills to do this work. But right now, the manufacturers are not providing the manual, the tools, and the diagnostic equipment that they need to um, be able to fix their own stuff. And is that similar to what you heard? I understand that you were at a legislative breakfast in Irisburg Town Hall this week just to discuss the right to repair bills. And are these more of what you're hearing from people in the community? 
Yeah, we, we heard at that meeting from a number of farmers, um, both, you know, how frustrating it is. And also, you know, they found some hacks and workarounds. One person was talking about how they go to the Internet and they can find some of the codes that they need. And I don't, I don't think folks should have to resort to those kind of workarounds. I want to protect the right for farmers to fix their own equipment and not worry, you know, that they're going to get caught stealing a code from the Internet or heard from one other farmer that, you know, there's a local person who kind of in an off hours makes some of the diagnostic tools available. And, um, you know, they're 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 worried. Uh, and, and I don't think they should have to sneak around like that. Again, if you buy something, you have a right to fix it. And, and this bill tries to hold manufacturers accountable for making those tools available to everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this bill would require original equipment manufacturers, also known as OEMs, to provide or sell access to tools, software, diagnostic tools, and manuals to fix electronics. So how does that work? Uh, what does that look like to you? Yeah, so these things all already exist. Um, and right now, manufacturers hoard that themselves. So they only allow their dealers or their branded authorized techs to have, you know, the computer that you plug in to in, interpret the code and um, uh, make the repair necessary. And so all of those tools are available right now, but um, companies are not sharing them. And so this legislation um, would obligate those parties to make um, available for fair and reasonable prices, um, all of those things uh, to either you know individuals or local repair techs um, that would provide the service for their community. And basically, it, it sort of says that um, you know a manufacturer's failure to provide those resources um, would be considered deceptive trade practices and um, could be referred to the attorney general's office for enforcement. Now, what's the value of the state of Vermont doing this versus the federal government? Like, why not wait for the feds to step in and make this a national legislation versus just the state of Vermont? Yeah, so I think it is important to recognize that there is growing momentum um, around this issue nationally. Um, is that this year there were you know 20 bills introduced uh, or 20 states introduced bills um, around right to repair and some of them have even gone you know been able to pass them successfully into law and at the federal level the federal trade commission has started cracking down on anti-repair practices actually pursuing action against harley davison and westinghouse and weber grills um, this past year so there is some um, momentum um, at, at the national level um, but states also have you know unique um, ability to, you know, regulate business practices. And, um, you know, we can move forward uh, today if we pass this bill in, you know, making sure that these parts and tools are available to our farmers or the, you know, consumer electronics. And this is a chance for Vermont to be a leader, um, be a part of this national movement to um, hold uh, manufacturers accountable for making their tools available and hopefully put pressure on passing national legislation as well. Now, Representative Sims, We've talked a little bit about the two bills, but how can you explain how they're different and why and why you have two instead of just putting this all into one bill? Yeah, so um, the bills do the same thing, but for different areas. So they would both require 
the um, manufacturers to make available the tools and diagnostic materials. One focuses on agriculture equipment and one focuses on consumer electronics. And because the way that our committees are structured here, here in the General Assembly, those bills went to different committees that have different expertise. So one um, went to House Commerce and one went to House um, Agriculture, Food Resiliency and Forestry. And that gives also more time and opportunity for um, committees to take up the bill, hopefully pass it out and move it on to the other body. So this gave us um, uh, ways to focus on two really important um, products and um, have two vehicles to hopefully pass um, legislation this session. Now, it appears that H81 is most likely to advance this session, and that's the one that affects farmers. What is it about this one that seems so promising? Yeah, well, you know, the unfair repair practices are, you know, particularly a problem for our farmers. As I mentioned before, there are, you know, clocks for planting and harvesting and taking care of crops. And so the delays that, um, you know, often come with, uh, you know, a, a tractor breaking down and, you know, you're locked out from working on it and you've got to wait for that repair tech or bring it back up to the dealer. That takes time that often um, farmers don't have. If they've got a hay crop down and it's about to rain, you got to pick that hay up and get it in the barn. And you don't have time to wait. And if farmers had the tools and diagnostic materials they needed, you know, they could get, you know, that that piece of equipment up and running. And, you know, and, and also it's about cost that, um, you know, the, the sort of effort to create repair industry monopolies um, means that, you know, dealers and manufacturers aren't always offering competitive prices um, for that repair work. And we know that farmers work on really thin margins and want to do everything that we can to reduce costs for farmers so that they can stay in business producing the food that we all all need. So this one, you know, felt particularly appropriate for Vermont. Um, recognizing the unique challenges that farms face and how important fixing stuff in a timely manner is for our farmers. And I want to bring another voice into this conversation, and that's Tommy O'Connor. He's the executive director of the Vermont Farm Bureau. Tommy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Tommy, I just want to get your take on how you and Vermont farmers interpret this bill, H81. For sure. Thank you. Yeah, we agree. We all want right to repair. Our equipment is very valuable to not only the products that we're trying to give our consumers, but of course that Vermont name. And right now for us, we've had a very major breakthrough in January where our American Farm Bureau Federation, our parent organization, signed an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, to essentially accomplish this through the John Deere names. And from this, we want to use this as a as a gateway to get other members of the industry on board and to do exactly what H81 is proposing. Uh, the difference we see mainly is that this memorandum we have with John Deere is a, already a national one, and we want to see all of it across the country and support all these great pieces of machinery that we need. And the other component of it that we like, um, that we wanted to see, is this has an evaluation process built into it. There's twice a year they're required to relook at this memorandum and see are we progressing in a positive manner? And if we're not, how do we address those concerns? Now, Tommy, I want you to take a step back for us. <laughs> Just get our, I want to get our listeners caught up Sorry. and explain how the um, American Farm Bureau and John Deere came up with this memorandum of understanding and explain what a memorandum of understanding is. For sure. So this process has been going on 
just under five years with American Farm Bureau and John Deere, and it came out for the same exact reasons as Representative Sims has brought up, major concerns of getting access to the diagnostic materials, the product guides, manuals, and so on. So through these conversations, American Farm Bureau, who represents obviously the farmers and ranchers of this country, said to John Deere, we have this major concern. We want to create a way to fix this process. And so they started drafting a memorandum of understanding. And what this is is essentially in its broadest of terms, it's a contract that states John Deere will do these sets of things, in our case the diagnostic material, the codes, the manuals, and the ability to have a private entity access those materials. So your mechanic down the street you want to access could have that. And by signing this, it is an agreement that American Farm Bureau and John Deere will both have stakes here where they can access these materials, but also they're being held to a standard of we want to evaluate, we want to bring you concerns when they come up as this process is laid out. But then John Deere also came back as part of this is, well, how do you help support us back? And, of course, our idea is to work with them in promoting the fact that they're the first in the ag industry to do this and to come to the table and to help them promote the success that we already envision with this. And this all was signed in January in Puerto Rico at our annual meeting where all the states got together to create policy going forward, and part of it was the signing of this MOU. Now, it seems like you and the House right now are on the same page when it comes to getting things done. So what, I guess, is the difference between what the House is doing and uh, what this MOU with John Deere? Sure. It's Right now, we really appreciate that the MOU that we have with John Deere is a national one. It covers everything. It also, uh, though we represent Farm Bureau here, this does not mean it's Farm Bureau exclusive. Anyone with a piece of John Deere equipment is underneath this MOU. The other concern we have, and we agree that this is very important, but if all 50 states create different right to repair acts with little bits and pieces that are different across the way, it just creates too much for John Deere to try to be as inclusive as possible. And their ultimate goal is to make sure that anyone with a John Deere tractor, piece of equipment, etc., has this capability regardless of where they live and regardless of the type of item they have. And so our focus, we want to see this, we want it to play out. And we also have already had other members of the industry, other tractor dealers, other agricultural equipment dealers, come to the table saying we want to learn from this and we want to get involved. So we know that, yes, it's taking time, but we know it's coming and we will see folks um, coming back with some more MOUs from the other organizations. Now, Representative Sims, I want to bring you back into the conversation. And as you hear what Tommy's saying and uh, this MOU with John Deere, why still pursue this if the people you represent um, are saying, you know what, like, let's just like, let's see what John Deere does first. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm certainly really glad that John Deere is engaging with the Farm Bureau um, on these conversations about how to make sure that its customers get what they need. And, you know, I I see John Deere's MOU as really more of like a pinky swear than a definitive solution here. And it's not enough to really guarantee their farmers, um, you know, the the right to repair. And, you know, some specific concerns I have around that agreement is that it, it doesn't guarantee that the tools will be affordable. To farmers, and I think that's really important here. Um, it also would allow the company to walk away from the agreement with like as little as 30 day notice. So that's not a long term guaranteed protection. 
and it lacks any enforcement mechanisms. So if a farmer were denied access to materials, um, there's no recourse for them. And I would say most importantly, this MOU only applies to one manufacturer. And so our bill would provide comprehensive right to repair protections, um, ensuring a fair and reasonable price uh, to farmers and apply to all manufacturers. And so great that those MOU conversations are happening. Hope they'll continue to move forward. But, um, you know, I want to protect this right uh, as soon as possible for all the manufacturers and, and all of our farmers around all the equipment. And Tommy, when we have these conversations, can you just tell us, the power of John Deere when it comes to farming and farming equipment? For sure. Um, John Deere is definitely well known as one of the, if not the world's largest uh, maker of farming equipment. So they have obviously a very strong presence in our farming and agricultural world. And in the conversations we've had with them and their members of their uh their team that was part of this process, they also were very well aware of all the issues that are happening. Um, right to repair is not the only thing that is getting in the way of our farmers and ranchers here in Vermont and across the country. So with with that, they take everything that's going on globally, nationally, and they, they look at these issues. And so this MOU on right to repair was one they have, and they continually, on essentially a quarterly basis, come back to us and say, we're seeing more of these things happening that look like potential issues in the future. How can we come and help and try to provide a solution? So they're very much invested, but they're very good at asking the question of what is going on and where can we do some work to improve upon this while, of course, still being an organization that needs to be thriving in this uh, economy. Let's go to Peter in Brattleboro. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi. um, I guess Representative Sims just made that point, but an MOU is not a legal document. It's more like a gentleman's agreement, oh, yes, yes, we'll look into it, sounds like a great idea, and uh, they have no obligation to follow through. Peter, thanks for that call. Tommy, uh, this gentleman's agreement, or as Representative Sims said, it's a pinky swear, uh, doesn't that give you a little bit more of a pause or a little bit uh, apprehensive uh, apprehension moving forward with such a big powerhouse in the market? Uh, understandable, for sure, and the comments are correct in that regard, and we appreciate them. I think the other component that is there, and while some people may not believe that, but it would be incredibly detrimental if John Deere was to somehow uh, not follow through with this MOU or, or make uh, waves as American Farm Bureau Federation is just over 6 million members strong, and majority of them being John Deere owners. I think that this is helping lead the way, and I think it can lead to more things. This MOU is a starting point. It's helping John Deere get out in front of an issue that they have found with their consumers. And I think that other groups have already come to the table, said something about this. And yes, a gentleman's handshake, pinky swear, totally understandable. But I also think that there's too much to lose if they were to be on the negative end of this component. Yeah, and then Representative Sims, before, and as we wrap up this conversation and before I let you go, I want to get your take on. If this right to repair bill, H81, does pass, what does accountability look like for a company like John Deere? Yeah, thanks for that question. And I think, again, kind of the difference between an MOU and us passing a a bill is that, you know, this bill will have the force of the law behind it. It it obligates um, manufacturers to provide the tools and diagnostic materials to do that at a fair and reasonable price. And... 
um, if they fail to comply with that, um, you know, we can take uh, action to, to ensure accountability. You know, Dundee uh, or other manufacturers could be referred to the Attorney General's Office for Enforcement. And, um, you know, that this is, again, an opportunity for Vermont to really lead the way in providing um, important protections to consumers that, again, if you own something, you have the right to fix it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we have an opportunity to really lead the way and inspire other states um, to, to follow suit. And, um, and Tommy, I want to get your take. What does a failed MOU look like to you? And when do you and the um, Vermont Farm Bureau and the American Farm Bureau decide that it's failed? Yeah, so this is something that American Farm Bureau has dedicated a lot of time to. So they are going to keep a very close eye on it. And part of the agreement is to constantly review this and keep this as a top of the pile, as they say. And though we are an advocacy group and we write policy for us that we work towards in our local legislators and, of course, on Capitol Hill and D.C., one of the things that we are is a grassroots organization where our members' voice is what is most important. And so we really don't just come at it as, oh, it's an organization that had a failed MOU or a positive or anything like that. We have six million people that will speak out against it, that will work on their local legislative level and, of course, again, in D.C. So we really view ourselves as a really important group that has the member's voice. So if anything is going wrong, we're going to hear immediately from our members and we're going to be able to take fast action. And I think the one positive side in our viewpoint is that we wouldn't have to go through potentially long legal issues, things like that. Once our members speak up, our group is very well known to being very quick to act and create some type of solution or at least a very clear plan to get to that solution. That's Tommy O'Connor, the executive director of the Vermont Farm Bureau. Tommy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Connor. I also want to thank our other guest, uh, Representative Catherine Sims, who represents Orleans 4th House District in the Northeast Kingdom. Representative Sims, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the interest.